Hi, this week's episode is a bit different. I wanted to explore the issue of whether shareholder capitalism still works and how to connect the end retail investor with the companies that fund managers ultimately invest in on their behalf. I think this is a a really big issue and one that I know concerns the investment industry as a whole. I asked Georgia Stewart, the CEO of Tumelo, to talk to me about this issue because her business is working to address this challenge. I hope you find it interesting. Oh, there we go. We're recording now. I was really struck when I was at Hargreaves Lansdowne how few people exercise their voting rights and how difficult it was to get shareholder clients engaged with voting issues. I mean, and you got the whole thing about nominee accounts, so so not everyone can. And then I was interested in how that bridges across to ESG and which end of the telescope you're looking down here is sort of shareholder activism and engagement a mechanism to stimulate interest in ESG or is it the other way around? And, you know, when you look back at how shareholder capitalism has evolved and the basic principle that you buy shares in a business, you own the shares, you get to exercise control over a company, but then you devolve the running of the company to managers, but they're accountable to you. And that accountability comes through the board and through shareholders exercising their voting rights. And and that's all fine in principle, but then you get collectivized investment schemes and unit trusts and so on. And that link between, which all makes sense from a risk management point of view, but that link between the individual investing their capital over here and how companies are run over here has kind of got a bit broken. So I'm really interested just to hear your thoughts around all of that. Yes. Okay. So there was a lot in there to unpack. I guess I agree. And it's that foundation that we often refer back to the idea that companies are accountable to their board, who is accountable to the shareholders. And that used to be a lot simpler than it is today. You know, if you were invested in a mining company, it's quite likely that 100 years ago, that mining company would have been in your town. And so you might have known the people on the board and you certainly would be dealing with the output or the kind of externality, shall we say, of the mine. You know, if it was dirty or if the people weren't paid well, those people were probably your siblings or (laughs) your neighbours. So I think that in that much simpler world, shareholder capitalism makes a lot of sense and it was easy to hold companies to account. And then, as you say, from a risk perspective and a diversification perspective, it made sense to create all of these financial products, which end up with the shareholder being intermediated or the, the ultimate shareholder, the ultimate kind of beneficiary or the person putting capital into the system, whatever you want to call them, being intermediated from the company where their money is being invested and you know, where, where someone somewhere is buying shares on that person's behalf and the challenge with that that we see is that kind of lack of accountability and although there may be accountability at different points in the investment chain you know the fund manager is holding the board accountable for some Mm. things and the individual is holding holding the fund manager account for other things the incentives are not always well aligned and that's particularly clear I think in the pension space where you've got say people like me who are investing very much for the long term say 30 40 50 years and yet the money may be managed on a short term kind of quarterly almost performance basis where the fund manager might be holding the board accountable for quarterly performance when actually what really matters to me is is long-term performance over 10 20 30 years and not just performance but also how that company has an effect on 
society and the environment, all of these things are going to culminate in the experience that I have at retirement. It's not just going to be about the numbers in my bank account. It will be about the decisions that Facebook or Shell or Axon made along that journey to, to building that value in my bank account. And so that's really where we come back to, to Mellow and, and what we're passionate about, which is about how to connect up those disintermediated ultimate shareholders with the companies that their money is being invested in so that they can participate in the decision making processes and so that their incentives, which are typically longer term, sometimes more progressive, can be heard and that those voices can be represented in the boardroom at company decision making. And, and that often centers around ESG, as you said. So, so let's come back to Tumelo. Tumelo? T- I always said Tumelo, but it's Tumelo. Yeah, I say Tumelo, but people okay. do, do say all sorts. Okay, right. We'll come back to that in a second. I just want to pick up on one thing you said there around the short-termism of fund managers. Maybe the answer's in the question in terms of, you know, we, we talk about shareholder engagement. But, uh, yeah, how do we get away from that short-termism, particularly with things like pensions where, you know, we can take 20, 30-year views. We've got the government trying to encourage long-term asset funds, trying to encourage pension schemes to invest in long-term assets and not focus on the next quarter's performance figures. But that's where we always end up. So why do we end up there and how do we get away from that really short-term focus on, you know, the last quarter's investment returns? Well, I think it has to come from a couple of different things. I mean, if you speak to consultants or in the in the pension space, you know, they'll tell you that you know they don't ask about quarterly performance and what they care about is you know, multi-year performance, and that's what they would advise their trustees to ask questions on when when the fund manager is presenting. So, I think there's a general understanding in the market that we need to move away from this focus on quarterly performance in those circumstances, at least. But then there is a question around kind of financial literacy levels, both on an individual level. You know, if you look at your pension and it goes down tomorrow, a lot of people in the UK would be really concerned about that. They wouldn't understand what that meant or that it might go back up or, you know, that it could go down further. They're, they're not thinking about it in a long term way. And so I can understand how the pressure on the trustee and the consultant and the fund manager then mounts to become you know, to, to culminate in this kind of focus on, on daily or weekly or quarterly performance. So a lot of it's about education and evolving people's expectations. But I think that's where ESG can be helpful because it is such a long-term thing. You know, it's climate and societal change is long-term. You have to take a long-term approach. You have to make investments today that you might not see a return on it until 10 years' time. Diversity in the boardroom, you know, that requires us to invest you know, in children's education. You know, like These are really long-term problems. And so I think that ESG is going to be helpful on that front. And that's where people have grasped the externalities you talked about earlier on with the, you know, the mining company or whatever. They, they get the question of external at a global environmental level, at a species extinction level. They don't care about that kind of stuff. But, you know, to your point you made about pensions going down, lots of pension scheme members don't even know their money's invested in the stock market. So, mm-hmm. so there's still a disconnect there for them between watching David Attenborough, worrying about Bangladesh going and sinking into the waters or whatever, or, you know, species dying out. They get that and they care about that. What, what they don't realise is that there is a connection with the fact that they've been put into a workplace pension scheme and their money directly impacts on those things that are going on. Yeah, completely. And I think that's a hangover from a couple of different things. I, back to financial literacy point, 100%. You know, we aren't taught in school. We aren't taught at university. We're not taught in the workplace. How on earth would you expect people to know these things? We have to take some responsibility as workplaces or government or educational institutions and start feeding this into 
you know, people's curriculum or people's headspace so that people can appreciate investment as a lever for change. You know, we're all okay with how we can travel better, eat better, shop better, but very few people understand how on earth they would go about making their investments better for things they care about, like society and the environment. So part of it is definitely about education and literacy, but I think a big part of it is about transparency and, and storytelling. I think if you read about pensions online and it sounds super super abstract like a black box it might be mm. pictures of old people walking down a beach on their retirement but actually you know that might be fitting in a db world where you didn't need to care about your pension because you had a defined benefit from your employer and that was coming you know hell or high water whereas now we have a dc world only introduced in 2012 people have to take more responsibility for their own savings and, and whatever that outputs at the end of their life. Mm. And so we need that transparency. We need to get people more connected to their savings today, you know, purely so they save enough, forget ESG. But I think we can approach the two in tandem and help people by giving them transparency to understand that their money is actually invested into companies. And something that we get a lot is, you know, we, we at Tamale focus on listed companies, but we, we want to do more on the private sector. And that's something that pension members are really interested in. You know, if they knew that their pension was invested in a railway refurb, then they're super interested in that and that it means something it feels very tangible to them and they're the stories that i think we need to be telling and there are organizations doing that like nest nest is, is doing that very well among others so tell me a bit more about tumelo how did the business start up what brought you into it and and how is it influencing change in the space you've been talking about yeah okay so Tomello is a platform to help individual investors connect with the companies that they their money is invested in. So it helps you if you have a stocks and shares ISA or a pension, for example, to see which companies you've actually got inside your investment portfolio and to see what issues those companies are dealing with on the ESG spectrum. So what social issues are going on at company A, what environmental issues are going on at company B. And it allows you through the platform to have a voice on those issues. So to tell the person who's managing your money what you think they should do about human rights at Tesla or deforestation at Procter & Gamble, for example, which are both you know, really votes that actually happened at those companies. So fund managers who are often representing you as, as an individual pension member, for example, you know, they have a lot of sway because the board answers to them, as we were talking about right at the start of the episode. And so our platform is all about giving you a voice at the table in that conversation. So, so asset managers aren't always good at being told what to do. And I'm interested in just break this down for me a bit because you've got the retail investor, whether it's a pension scheme or the put some money into an ISA or whatever, that might have gone through a platform, for example, or it might have gone through an insurance company, pension provider. So you've got the shell arrangement the money went into. Then it goes on to the fund manager, and then the fund manager is investing in the actual end target companies. So for your service to work and for that connection to be made from one end to the other, you have to be bought into, so is it the, the platform or the pension scheme that buys into Tumelo? Is it the fund manager? Where does this get inserted? Yeah, it's a complicated chain, isn't it? So we typically are inserted at the platform level so that a pension member or an investor can access Tumelo voting features 
where they access the rest of their investment stuff. So wherever they would go to see performance or change funds, they can now go and also vote on the issues that matter to them at the companies their money is invested in. So that's that's who we typically partner with. But we work with pension schemes to get the word out. We do kind of our own marketing to underlying users as well. We do still need to work with fund managers. Obviously, they're critically important in this because they hold the keys to the companies. They're picking the companies. They're talking to the CEOs and the CFOs. They're voting at the AGMs. They're engaging with those companies on a year-round basis. So what we are doing essentially through the platform relationships we have is collecting a feed of opinions from underlying pension members and retail investors Mm -hmm. and sending that feed of opinions through to the relevant fund managers. So if my money is being managed by fund manager A, then my vote on the Tesla human rights issue will get sent to them and they will then have a collection of kind of representation from their underlying investors, explaining to them what people would like them to do on a human rights issue at Tesla, for example. And they can then do with that what they want. So it's still so discretionary, got, right? They don't yeah. have to take any notice of it. But it's a clear steer that, like, you know, your your investors think this, so you should probably take account of it. Yeah, 100%. And fund managers are interested, right? Because they're intermediated by the platform from their underlying customers. Most fund managers, at least, would like to know more about what their individual investors think about these issues. They're having to make quite difficult judgment calls. The issues are very nuanced. There's a lot of public pressure on both sides at the table. You know, if you're making decisions as a fund manager in the US and you've got, you know, people on the far right and the far left, you think you should do totally different things. It's a difficult thing to do. Stewardship has kind of been at the back of people's minds and it's now come to the forefront as a as a kind of very topical issue. And there's a lot of pressure from policymakers and, you know, regulatory bodies like the UNPRI, for example, released a paper in April suggesting that fund managers should be proactive and taking their underlying investor opinions into account. And the stewardship code also references that. There's a lot of pressure on fund managers and, and ultimately what we are seeking to do is provide them with another feed of data that helps them understand the people they're ultimately representing. And in terms of policymaker intervention, there was Guy Opperman set up mm-hmm. the, the task force on pension scheme voting implementation end of 2020, I think, and, and that, that produced some outputs a few months ago. How much impact is that going to have? To what extent can policymakers actually change the landscape and influence the way that that governance mechanism works? I think they can have huge impacts. I mean, the financial services sector is very accustomed to listening to regulation and policy. We've seen it in the last couple of months for the financial service sector reacting. Certainly, I think the stewardship code was revamped in um, October, I think it was, which is a a good example of where many, many asset managers were kind of rejected from the stewardship code for, for whatever reason. And you know, there was a lot in the media. A bit about of embarrassment it. for some of them, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it really matters. And, and so the, the asset owner is really what that paper was focused on, which is a kind of, you could call them a wealth manager, an IFA. I think really the paper is talking about pension scheme trustees, both in the DB yeah. and the DC landscape. But anyone who kind of, I guess, represents an underlying beneficiary, but but has some responsibility of their own, a kind of fiduciary duty in many cases. And the asset owner's, up until this point, I'm making sweeping statements, but the asset owners haven't been very proactive on stewardship. It's partly a resourcing challenge, partly an educational challenge, partly because it's been okay up until this point to just delegate stewardship to the fund manager. Mm. But that paper was really landmark in saying that they believe fund managers should do more to help their asset owners have a voice in the stewardship process and be able to 
go potentially so far as dictator vote or at least dictator voting policy to a fund manager, which which a fund manager has to consider or potentially follow when it comes to especially something called significant votes, which is this idea that there are some votes like potentially on climate or plastic or gender, which are particularly important or CEO pay to the material outcome of a scheme's financial performance. And that's really what that paper was trying to say was actually how could asset managers and asset owners work more closely together. Now, for us, that's great because asset owners, let's say pension scheme trustees broadly, are increasingly listening to underlying pension members. Mm. So when they are thinking about, okay, what should our stewardship policy look like? What's important to our scheme? What issues should we be pressing with the fund manager? You know, they're they're increasingly looking internally and saying, okay, well, you know, what does my organization stand for and what do my members want from me? But then there's a really big challenge to empower and enable those members to make informed judgments about the policies that should be implemented on their behalf. You know, Tesla's a classic example. Are they the good guys or the bad guys? You know, depending on which, how you look at them. Yes, they're electric cars, but also lots of rare earth minerals. And, and, and some of their corporate governance, I think, has been a little sort of uh, laissez-faire at times. So, you know, they're the good guys or the bad guys. So for, from a member's point of view, quite often the voting decisions on businesses, are, you know, they, they could be quite nuanced things. And, you know, you need to have a level of understanding to make a, a judgment about what you want your wishes to be. So how, how, how do we help the members to, to give sensible instruction up the chain to the agents acting on their behalf? I've got a couple of comments on this. I guess the, the first one would be that it's not an instruction, it's an opinion. And that, that we always rely on the fact that the trustee has fiduciary duty to do what they think is best in the best interest of the whole scheme and so what we can do is help them to understand what the members think and help them to make a decision for the members and that is still the way the system works there are ways that they can use our data to help them prioritize issues so if we it's really clear that members really care about animal welfare or human rights over climate for example or the other way around then they can prioritize that in their stewardship policy there's also ways that they can use our data to make more funds available to members so for example if we know that 10% of members are really interested in climate and they vote on that every single month then maybe we need to be making an ESG or maybe a climate specific fund available to those members to invest in and then beyond that it also helps with education so if we know that members are you know really leaning into animal welfare issues for example then maybe it's worthwhile educating members about how animal welfare and their pension scheme are, are interlinked and that's a great way potentially to hook members into learning more about their pension if you can go out to people you know care about animal welfare and talk about that as a way to get people interested and to learn about finance generally then that could be really beneficial so I think it's more than just providing an instruction to a trustee which which I think would break down quite quickly but to answer your question more directly around you know how do you help members I think taking out the jargon from the AGM statements we provide both sides of the story so they have the shareholder argument and the company argument so they are seeing a kind of balanced representation of the issue and that you could still argue that you know members of daily mail readers or members of this or that have heard all sorts honestly but I think really the industry probably wants to also look at itself and think well you know did I vote down Exxon following up on lithium-ion batteries in 2015 because the issue was nuanced. You know, I mean, fund managers have made some 
interesting decisions in the last 10 years about how they're going to vote on what are now incredibly pressing issues like climate. So I think putting more power or at least more voice in the members' hands can only be a good thing. And we're going to end up with a more balanced and hopefully more progressive outcome. Well, and one of the things I was struck by looking at the value for money work that the the joint exercise that the pensions regulator and the FCA have been working on over the last couple of months is one of the things they brought out of that was communication and pension schemes approach to ESG factors and need to be front and centre and and the communication of that those kind of issues to their members is an integral element of how pension schemes deliver good value for money. So, you know, it really feels as if the tide is is flowing in this direction and, you know, the, the regulatory authorities are absolutely on board with this. This is the kind of stuff that has to happen. The fact they're hardwiring into things like value for money, not just into their ESG policy, it's, it's you know, it's, it's permeated right through the regulatory strategy landscape now. So I've just got one more question I'd like to ask you, Georgia, which is just, okay, what's the end state from this? What do the sunlit uplands look like for you? In you know, you're, you're doing good work. You're driving better member engagement. There's better voting going on, but it still feels like there's there's work to go. So, so where would you like us to end up with all of this? It's a big question. I think that ultimately, I believe that very simply, people need to know where their money is invested. That's an easy ask. It should be an easy ask. Actually, not that easy, but it should be an easy ask. But people can understand what companies their money is being invested in when they put it into the stock market, into a fund, into a pension, into any kind of vehicle. I think that's important, both across the listed space and the private space. And that is absolutely not true today. And we do lots of launches with lots of different pension schemes and different types of investors. And as you said right at the beginning, most of them don't even know their money's invested and they certainly don't know what companies it's in. So that would be a first hurdle let's achieve that and that's going to be a a brilliant goal to have reached the next goal is then giving those people a voice i think there are you know defined shareholder rights that people who are invested in intermediated fund structures do not have we believe at tomato and i think that people should have access to those i believe people should have a voice they should have transparency. They should be able to engage. I actually don't think that the, what did you call it? The Sunday uplands. I don't think that the, the long-term vision necessarily looks like the shareholder engagement system looks today. You know, I'm not sure how useful it is to have lots of pension members voting on a Tesla human rights AGM, to be honest, in the long term. But so, I think so what, what should it be, look like? Yeah, so I think what would be useful would be a much more open kind of shareholder ecosystem where people could put forward issues that they care about. And they could be answered by the fund managers or by the company directly where I guess really what we're getting at is stakeholder capitalism. Hmm. I believe that companies should be run by and for the people, for the environment, for for society, and they shouldn't only have performance and quarterly performance at that at their core. And I think, you know, we're not alone in saying that, but we believe one of the ways to achieve that would be by having much more open shareholder management, shareholder engagement. And and that's essentially what we're driving towards. So I'm just going to check one thing you said there, where you talked about the, the money being run by the people for the people. You're still talking about the asset owners or are you extending it beyond the actual investors to society more broadly? Because that's that's a really interesting concept if you're actually going beyond the boundaries of the the investors themselves. So I think that's already happening. I think like forward thinking companies and I don't know if we talk look at 
Unilever, MS or uh, Patagonia, there's lots of Nike, lots of different examples of companies who, you know, they really listen to their customers. They're increasingly trying to listen to their supply chain and do the right thing by them, bring them into the conversation. They are going above and beyond to solve problems from an environmental perspective. If you just look at the amount that Microsoft has invested in carbon capture technology that doesn't even exist today and probably won't for another 10 years, and they're piling money into it. And obviously, some of that pressure is coming from shareholders, but it's also coming from society and their consumers. And I think what we can do is bring the shareholder into that conversation as a stakeholder who is interested in the performance of a company, but also like a consumer or any other stakeholder, interested in the effect that company has on the environment and and the world around them. And I'm not suggesting you have millions of people running every company. You're still going to have a kind of structure where there are individuals who are empowered to make decisions and create progress more quickly than we could possibly do as a group. But I think having a more open channel with shareholders than we do today would be really helpful and would would further, you know, more progressive outcomes. For sure. Yeah. Transparency and engagement and understanding, you know, it has to, has to be good in that context. Georgia Stewart from Tumelo. Thank you very much for talking to me. That's been fascinating. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me, Tom. It's been good to be here. hope you enjoyed this conversation if you did then do please consider leaving a positive review and maybe even subscribing for future episodes the sound engineer was ross burns thank you for listening